Mark chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. So once you've got your copy of God's Word open to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, we're going to stand and read this together. should be on the screen if you don't have it as well. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 1, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we go through your word, we come through various topics and subjects. And Father, we thank you that you have given us direction and wisdom from your word on all matters of life. And Father, I pray this morning that as we look at this subject, that you would just give us wisdom, that you would give us uh, from your word insight. And Father, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged in our thinking and our ways of life. And Father, we just thank you and we rejoice in you. We give you glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If I drink a lot... Probably because I'm a little nervous. Last week, uh, you know, we talked about a tough subject in hell. So why not just, you know, as you go through the word, go to the next tough subject, which is divorce and remarriage. Um, One of the things that I love about expository preaching is you read from verse to verse and you spend time going through that and you don't get stuck on topics and subjects. You say, if it's in the Word, that's what we're going to talk about. And this week, I didn't, I didn't set up a specific week where we're going to talk about divorce and remarriage and, 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 and have that as our subject matter. No, we come to Mark chapter 10, and that's what's there. And I want us to, to, to look at this passage with an understanding um, of a couple of things. Because when we approach the Word, it's not what your opinion is about divorce and remarriage. It's not what my opinion is. It's about what is God's opinion. And that is of utmost importance that as we approach any subject that we uphold, what is God's view? And um, spent a lot of time studying this. And I wrestled with a lot of things. I even changed my mind about certain things and spent a lot of time even evaluating my traditional views of things and, and where they came from and why do I uh, believe that and so forth. And, and I've come to a conclusion that it's not as black and white as people might think. And I realized that might challenge some of us because we are pretty sure in our minds it's made up But we're going to look at some of that, and I would challenge that if anybody tells you it's black and white, I would question that. And we're going to look at some of that this morning based on the Word and and, and based on what the Lord says. And I also want to, second thing I want to point out is it is delicate. 
And there is a tension because every single one in this room, I would venture to guess, has been touched in some way or shape by divorce. Whether it's a friend, a relative, or a coworker, somebody has been touched by divorce. Two out of five marriages in our country end in divorce. 70% of second and third marriages end in divorce. That's the reality of what we are facing in our society today. And so this is a very relevant topic. In my own personal life, I have experienced over the last year three surprising marriage breakups that have ended in divorce. Personally experiencing. And it's a very pertinent topic. And I will also say as a third point, this sermon will be Wholly inadequate to answer all the questions. Not in 45 minutes. There's no way we can answer all the questions. And so I would ask you that as we walk through this, that you would be praying, even in the midst of the sermon, that God would just give us as a, as a family wisdom to seek out God's word, to seek out what God has to say, to seek out Him. Because I think the conclusion of this message is deeply powerful. And I would just say, if you are here and you are single, don't check out now. Because this message has as much powerful meaning to you as it does to those who are married. So let's go with that in mind to the text and let's walk through it, um, treading as I would tread lightly. And he there left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Let's pause there and just kind of put the context of what's going on. Remember, Jesus had been teaching in Capernaum uh, in a house, probably Simon Peter's. Uh, he's left there and he is still on his journey to Jerusalem and eventually to the cross. And as he comes to this region uh, across from the Jordan, beyond the Jordan in the region of Judea, crowds gather and the natural thing for Jesus to do, start teaching them. That's his heart. What a, what a beautiful picture in the heart of Jesus that anytime he sees people, he loves people and he wants to teach them truth. He wants to instruct them. And in the midst of that people appears the Pharisees, who I find it kind of ironic. This is a side note, and I don't even have it in my notes, but I just begin thinking about this. You have the Pharisees who are supposed to be the teachers and the, the ones who are uh, instructing the people in righteousness and in the Word of God, and instead they are the ones here trying to disrupt and cause uh, a friction and problems. And ultimately, we, we read earlier in Mark that their goal, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, their goal was to destroy Jesus. And so they pop up, and we, we know right away what their intent is. It says they, they ask this question in order to test him. To test him. They are trying to trap him in order to discredit him. They, they see that Jesus' following is growing, and they ask this tricky question. The question of divorce. It's not a new problem, is it? not a problem that we only face today. It is a problem that they faced back then. It is a problem that was laid out in Deuteronomy, and we'll look at that a little bit this morning. But it's a problem that is not new, and the question they ask had a very pointed attempt to trap Jesus. So they asked, is it lawful? In fact, we're told in Matthew, we get uh, the corresponding uh, text in Matthew chapter 19, 
um, which I'd encourage you to read. It is, is important that you bring those two passages together. In Matthew chapter 19, we're actually told, I, I believe in verse uh, 3, that they actually add the word, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? That's really the heart of what they're asking. Is it lawful, Jesus, is it lawful for anyone to get a divorce for any reason? That's what they ask. Because there's two schools of thoughts going on in Jesus' day. There's two rabbis that kind of laid out two different opinions. There was one rabbi, his name was Shemiah or something like that. I don't know, it doesn't matter. But he was very strict and his, his teachings said that there was a strict basis that there was only one cause that a person could get a divorce and that was for sexual immorality. Now the other guy, his name was Hillel, he said that for any and every reason a person could get a divorce. And all of this is surrounded on the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So you might want to put your finger there because we're going to jump to it in just a sec. But uh, there's a key word in verse 1 where it talks about uh, a husband may give his wife a certificate of divorce if he finds in her, and depending on what translation you have, it's either the word uncleanness or indecency. And so all of this debate is surrounded on one word. It hinges on one word is what does indecency, uncleanness, however you translate it, refer to? Because Moses permitted a certificate of divorce. And so one guy said it's only sexual immorality. The other guy said, no, no, it can't just be uh, immorality because if they committed adultery, they were to be stoned. So there's no reason why there would be a, a double standard in the law. And so it had to be any reason. And in fact, this guy went so far, he said, if she burned breakfast that morning, you could divorce her. If you found somebody else on the street that looked a little bit better than her, you could divorce your current wife. Any and every reason. They would, they would have any possible reason they could divorce their wife. That's what, unfortunately, was also the popular view in Jesus' day. Okay, so I want you to keep that context in mind because that's where this question is arising. That The Pharisees are saying, ah, now we can catch Jesus. We can trap him because if he agrees with Shemiah, then he is contradicting the popular opinion and the people will turn against him. And if they say, if he says, well, it's for any and all reasons, then it seems like he might be contradicting some of the strictness of the law. And actually, he would contradict John the Baptist who said it was immoral and wrong that Herodias had married his brother's-in-law's wife, or however that works, brother's wife, yeah. You see the, the tension there. And I love Jesus. He goes a completely different direction. Verse 4, it says, They said, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, He answered them, What did Moses command you? See, Jesus has a tendency, and I want you to note the dialogue that's going on here. Jesus turns the question back on the questioners by asking them, what does the law through Moses say? Jesus says, what did Moses command you? He takes it back to them. See, Jesus wasn't stupid. He knew what they were trying to do. He says, in his mind, you can tell Jesus is saying, since you already know the answer, why don't you tell me what you think? What did Moses say? Because Jesus knows where they're going. And they answer from Deuteronomy chapter 24. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus says to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So what's going on is they said, Moses allowed us to. 
And Jesus says, in essence, yeah, but that's because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of the hardness of your hearts, the reason was not God's will, but because of sin. Old Testament laws are sometimes confusing, and sometimes we look at them and we say, this doesn't make sense. Does God permit divorce here? Is God saying divorce in and of itself is okay? Uh, uh, Is He saying that this is what you should do? Is He commanding it? And sometimes Old Testament laws were a means of best managing sin. That's why we have laws on slavery. That's why we have Old Testament laws on polygamy. That's not what God condones. It's not what He says is good, but He had to manage these things. Because there was a deeper heart issue. There's a reflection of man's sin and not God's will. All right? Just hang with me here. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. We've got to wade through some of this to get to the real depth of this passage. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I've gotten lazy. I just type it in on my iPad and it pops up. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, this is what is being referenced here when he says, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed. I find that interesting. Jesus says, What did he command you? And they say, Moses allowed two different words. Um, it says in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor, uh, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, there's that word indecency or possibly uncleanness depending on your translation, uh, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house, if, if she goes and becomes another man's wife, And the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Wow, that is a lot. And we're not going to dive into all of it. But what I want us to understand is the purpose and the principle, the reasoning behind this law, okay? So the purpose was not that you should divorce your wife, but it was a permission that if you divorce your wife, this is the means of doing it. And it was for the protection of the woman, okay? Because this was a patriarchal society that a woman was wholly dependent on a man for financial sustenance. And if she was divorced without a certificate, it was, there was no permission that the next man could come and say, yeah, I don't know if I can marry you. I don't know if you're clean. But with the certificate of divorce, it literally afforded her the privilege to remarry. And so therefore she could find sustenance, provision in a new family. Okay, That is the provision of the law. The bill of divorce gave her freedom to remarry. It assured the new husband that he would not be guilty of adultery in this case because she was not guilty of adultery. Okay, I want you to keep that context a little bit in mind because it's so important to understand some of this passage back in Mark. So flip back to Mark. So Jesus is addressing their use of Moses. He says, yeah, Moses allowed you to do that through the law. He permitted it. 
He permitted it, though, because of the hardness of heart. He gave you the right to do it. It is, and this is important to understand, it is permissive, but not commanded. Okay, this is a little bit of classroomish stuff, and I get that. He gave you the right to do it. It is permissive, but it is not commanded nor desired by God. People sometimes hear this, as they did, and use it as endorsement. Too oftentimes, people are more interested in their rights and what they have the freedom to do than the will of God. And that is so important for us to understand, that we should be seeking after the will of God for our life. And the Pharisees interpreted this passage from Deuteronomy 24 through the lens of their rights and not God's will. So Jesus explains that, yes, but for the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment, and this is where the whole passage turns on a hinge. Verse 6, but but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Where, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. While it is permitted, Jesus says, but I want you to understand, Jesus still hasn't given them his answer to their question. And what does he do? He says, before we talk about divorce, and brothers and sisters, this should be important to us. Before we can ever get on the subject of divorce and whether it is right and whether remarriage is right, we should talk first and foremost about what does God view about marriage. That is so vitally important, and Jesus takes them all the way back to the beginning. He says, in other words, before you start thinking about the question of divorce, let's talk about marriage. The problem wasn't that they understood the law about divorce. The problem was they didn't understand God's purpose and intent in marriage and what he had to say about it. And so he says, from the beginning, from the beginning, this is so important, from the beginning, God made them. He establishes first his ownership over humanity by saying, I made them. I made them. And I made them male and I made them female. It establishes his right to ownership of humanity over the institution of marriage. And so what he essentially says, it's not man's rules, it is my rules that apply. And notice what he says, the view we should have of marriage. From the beginning, God made them male and female. And if you remember back to Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, where, where the story, and I'll paraphrase it for you, uh, you know, God makes Adam, and, and he, he uh, has Adam, if you remember, uh, stand before, and he brings all the animals in pairs before him. And he's bringing all these animals, and it's an object lesson is what it is. Because as each animal goes by, Adam's like, yeah, nope, that's not a fit. Yep, nope, that's not a fit. They look good together. Nope, not my fit. God is preparing him to understand that he can't make it on his own. It's the beauty of marriage. God has a cause in it. He has a purpose. Marriage is a union, as we're told here, when a woman who comes from man, if you remember that, it says that, God put Adam into a sleep and pulled a rib out of him, and Adam sees her, and he's like, whoa, man. That's a joke. Um, but he says, out of man 
came woman, and that's where that idea, that concept of the Hebrew word comes from. And he then takes them and joins them together into a oneness of completeness. And there is a sovereign act in marriage. And in this passage, Jesus goes through that sovereign act. And if you've ever heard one of my marriage services that I've conducted, a lot of times I've gone through this. There's a three-part process in it. It says, the two shall become one flesh. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. The first part of it is leaving. It is a new relationship. It means that the spouse is now the priority, not the in-laws, not the parents, but your spouse becomes the priority in this new relationship. Uh, And it's not a leaving geographically, but a new family is formed. It is leaving. Then he goes on, he says, they shall leave and they shall he shall hold fast. The, the Greek word is literally to be glued to his wife. That they, 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 it is not a contract, but a divine covenant that God is a part of. It is a threefold union with Jesus being the third member of the covenant. And the last thing he says is the two shall become one flesh. And the idea is that they are woven together where you cannot tell when one ends and the other begins. The term literally means to be yoked together, that they are pulling the load together. It is a divine union, and notice what it says, the two shall be one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one, what therefore God has joined together. Brothers and sisters, I have never married anyone. I have affirmed what God has done. God marries. God sovereignly, in that act of incredible union, creates that covenant. That is so important for us to understand. That it is God who does the the union. And it is God's intent that one man, one woman, should be union together for one life. That is His ideal, that is His will, that is His purpose from the beginning. Jesus takes them all the way back to that. And that is why, by the way, divorce is so painful. Because it is an attempt to separate and to sever something that is so divinely united that there is no end to one and beginning of the other and it is a cutting that can only be painful. Why is this whole thing so important? While we're flipping around, flip to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water with the word. And listen to this, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without 
blemish in the same way husbands love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. And he goes on. In verse 32, he says, this mystery, meaning marriage, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why is marriage so important? Understand this. If you are married here today, God did not design marriage for your happiness. That was not God's intent for marriage. The mystery is this, that God designed and purposed marriage to be a display of Christ's love for the church. That is a holy, humbling thought. That God's intent and purpose of marriage was to display the representation of a covenant-keeping love of Christ for the church. It is a display of His union and unbreakable love. And this is why we read in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, that God hates divorce. You know why He hates it? Because it mars the beauty of this picture. Because it lies about God. Because it, it creates an image that says what God has created in His love for the church is not wholly sustainable. What picture do we send when we decide that the union that He has joined together to be a picture of Christ's love for the church is no longer valid? So he says in verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here is Christ's answer. His answer to the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The answer is, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's heavy. We've all been touched by divorce in some way, shape, or form. Two out of five marriages end in divorce. We have in here the word that says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus then walks away from there. He's done with the Pharisees, but he's not done with his disciples. They come into the room, and the Greek literally implies that they kept asking him about this. Tell me more. Tell me about this. And, and we get a more fuller picture in Matthew. And I, and I want us to keep that in mind because there are some things in Matthew 19 that, that are there. In fact, when we talk about this whole idea of marriage and divorce and remarriage, uh, I find it uh, interesting that the disciples in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 10, they say the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to even get married. This is such a hard thing. This is the leaders of the church. They're like, man, this is hard. And if we think it's so cut and dry, we're going to see that it's not. So they come in, and, and it's important to understand that here Jesus is answering the question, then what about a divorce based on other grounds? And we're going to come back to this, not sexual immorality, i.e. unbiblical grounds. Because in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus says that if a man uh, 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 finds that his wife, except for the case of sexual immorality, you cannot divorce your wife, is what he says. And with this answer, Jesus interprets the meaning of Deuteronomy 24 as the word for uncleanness as sexual immorality. So what he says is the freedom... To divorce, the permission is only on the grounds of sexual immorality. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, talks about the same thing, except for the case of sexual immorality. 
and here's where it becomes sticky. And I wish, sometimes I wish God used different words. Because oftentimes when I always thought of this, I thought of adultery, right? If, if, if my wife is unfaithful, that is the only grounds, but that's not what he's saying here. And that's where this is going to get tricky. Because the Greek word sexual immorality is porneia, which is not idolatry. It is not even the act of sexual immorality. It can be a wide plethora of things. Porneia has a large degree of, of interpretation in regards to a wide span of sexual sin. And one may be guilty of it with actu- without actually having committed adultery. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus says, Out of the heart comes evil things, such as sexual immorality and adultery. And there are two separate words there. And he does not use the word for adultery in this passage, in Matthew 19, 9, as he does. But he uses the word sexual immorality, which is porneia. And so the question becomes, you know, if, if my spouse is guilty of, of pornography, is that grounds for divorce? Because that is porneia. And I wish that God would have just used, you know, Jesus, why didn't you just use the word uh, adultery? It would be a lot more easily to discern this. To this permission, Paul also adds in 1 Corinthians 7.15, he says, there is another grounds, and that is if your wife or husband abandons you. You are free from the bondage. Please note that not in this text are the grounds of incompatibility, not loving each other anymore, and misery. Those are not the grounds for divorce biblically. There's nowhere mentioned that if you're unhappy in your marriage, that you've fallen out of love, that those are biblical grounds for divorce. Jesus concludes and he says, to make things even stickier. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And the reason why a person who does not have a legitimate divorce, biblical grounds, commits adultery upon remarrying, as well as their spouse, is because in God's eyes they are not separated. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand this. Unbiblical divorce, you cannot break asunder the covenant that God has made. That's why it's such a serious matter. That's not heavy enough, right? How do we take this and and begin to look at it and, and, and apply it to our lives and say, especially if I'm sitting here, I'm single, this doesn't apply to me. How do I walk through this? What are some of the things I want us to take away? Well, here's what I want us to take away because the beauty of this application is so incredible. And I want to give you a couple of points. Number one, when it comes to divorce and remarriage, we need to be praying for wisdom in each and every circumstance. And we should never take it lightly. I have literally, those last week, been considering weddings that I have participated in. Weddings that I have uh, officiated. 
and walking through that and, and asking questions and, and, and considering. And, and let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you think this is so clear, cut, and dry, there are theologians that I have respect for on all sides of this argument. There are some that say it is impossible to remarry without committing adultery. There are some that say, no, it is okay. There are some that say that if you have been divorced, you are automatically disqualified from any future ministry. This is a touchy subject, and there are varying opinions, and I would ask that we would consult the Word not man's opinion. And so when it comes to divorce and remarriage, we ought to be humbly praying for wisdom in each and every circumstance. Second, and this is so beautiful, we must understand marriage and divorce in light of the gospel. There is overwhelming evidence for you if you are married to fight for your marriage no matter what in light of the gospel. I don't care what your circumstances are. There is overwhelming evidence in light of the gospel to fight. The gospel shows that reconciliation is always possible. We have an incredible picture in the Old Testament that should speak volumes to us. A small book called Hosea. And in Hosea, it is one of the most glorious pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament we can find. In it, we have God proclaiming to his prophet, Hosea, and says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and marry a prostitute. And so he does, in obedience. And his wife, Gomer, which is a very interesting name, he marries her, and guess what? She commits both the things that we are been told in the New Testament are grounds for biblical divorce. Sexual morality and abandonment. She leaves him. And she goes and, and, and has uh, relationships with men over and over again. And it is a despicable scene. And, and we look at it and we say, this is a horrible situation. And if you are Hosea's friend, even on biblical grounds, you'd probably come up to him and say, hey, Hosea, it might be best to just let her go. But what does God do? Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Hosea, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Go get your prostitute bride and bring her back. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. We are the prostitute bride of Christ, having loved this world more than Him, having offered ourselves to the gods that are out there, whether it's entertainment, whether it is pleasure, whether it is laziness, whatever, fill in the blank, we have prostituted ourselves. And here's the beauty. God the Father looks at His Son and says, go get your bride. Go get your bride and bring her back. And Jesus did. Jesus came to earth, was rejected by his own, was offered up as a holy sacrifice to God in full atonement for sin. And he says, with my blood I purchased this bride. That's my dowry. 
for eternity. That's the gospel. And the beauty of that is that we can come to Christ who has offered himself a perfect sacrifice, a dowry, bought with a price, we are told, over and over again. And if anyone would but believe in that and confess that Jesus is Lord, you are his bride. I want to address three groups in this room now in regards to this text. Singles. Don't say this isn't for you. Understand the beauty and the seriousness of marriage, that it is the picture of the relationship that Christ has with the church. Please pray for the marriages of this church. Pray earnestly for them. If it is the picture of Christ's relationship to the church, don't you think that Satan wants to destroy it as much as possible? Please pray for the marriages of this church. Pray that they would represent to a world that does not understand Jesus Christ that He has undying, unbreakable covenant love for those who come to Him. And also, the two most important decisions you can ever make as a single person in your life are your Savior and the potential spouse. You ought to be praying about that. Married people, this passage, this beautiful picture empowers you to work hard for your marriage. It's pretty hard to beat Hosea's story. Pretty hard. I know people who just want to give up. I had a, a horrible text message on Mother's Day from somebody that is very dear to me about the, the breakdown of their marriage. And I sit here and I, and you know, Steph and I have talked many times about how can you get to that place? And I don't know. I'm, I'm a little crazy when we have an argument. I'm not going to bed. I don't care if it's 3 in the morning. We are going to get it resolved, and we're going to get it resolved now. And I understand that there are some people who say, well, I can't operate like that. I need to sleep. That's fine. But I'm telling you, I will not go a night without sleep until I am reconciled to my wife because she is the most important human being to me. And there is nothing that I will let drive a wedge between us. And too oftentimes, yet I do. And so we need to fight. We need to fight and press hard. And no matter the circumstances, no matter what has been done to you, no matter the violation, no matter what it is, there might be biblical grounds, but those should never enter into your mind. Because we have every right to fight. And we have every obligation to present to the world the story of Hosea and how Christ is represented loving his bride. Marriage is an arena, and it's an arena to conform us into the image of Christ. We're told that the mystery is this, that Christ came, He lived, He died. And marriage is the arena where we come together to selfish, prideful people, and we must die to self there. And marriage is a great tool to help us conform into the image of Christ. And it is a beautiful thing. And sometimes it's a difficult thing. 
as Christ loved the church. The last group, those who have been divorced, I'm sure some of this is hard to hear. I'm sure some of it is hard to to walk through, and, and you may ask, how does God feel about me in light of all of this? Maybe I've been divorced and remarried, and maybe I was divorced for the wrong reasons, and it was unbiblical, and, and yet I got remarried. Am I an adulterer? Is this, you know, how does God feel about me in light of all of this? Here's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That is not the question you ought to be asking. The question you ought to be asking is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Because if you are, Romans 8.1 applies to you. There is now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. Divorce isn't an unpardonable sin. There are so many times where we treat certain sins with such harshness that we, we sit here and we say, well, I'm, not, I'm keeping my distance from them. The very gospel that we fail to display in our marriage if we've gone through divorce is the very thing that renews us. That even though I am unfaithful, Christ is still faithful to me. God is always still faithful to His bride. And brothers and sisters, the woman at the well, she had many husbands and Jesus did not walk away from her but pursued her. What I want us to walk away from in this passage is not principles and rules for grounds of divorce, grounds of remarriage. There are things that we can decipher from this, and I hope that we would carefully consider and walk this, tread it lightly, but I would hope that we would walk away with this, understanding the gospel message is this, that Christ came for His church, and no matter our unfaithfulness, To Him, He still pursues us and He still desires us and He will pursue us till the end of time because that is the beauty of the gospel. And so when we see marriage, (coughs) I hope we see and I hope that in our minds we see Christ loved the church. And when we get into our disagreements as married couples, You know, a good way to start the end of an argument is to ask yourself, I wonder if this is how Christ treated the church. No, it says that he had this mind in him, which you now have. That though he was equal with God, he humbled himself, became a servant even unto death, offered himself for us. I'm going to close with Hebrews chapter 10 as a reminder to all of us. I love the song that we sang last week. Though our sins be great, His grace is even more. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are reminded of the truth of the new covenant marriage relationship that Jesus Christ offers to us. Starting in verse 14, it says... For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I have that verse underlined, highlighted in my Bible. For by one single offering, 
The death of Jesus Christ on the cross, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. If that wasn't enough, the Holy Spirit is testifying to you. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering. For sin. Amen. What a beautiful thing. I hope and pray that we would take this marriage concept seriously. And I hope and pray that no matter the difficulties, we would fight for the marriages because they represent Christ's undying, unbreakable covenant-keeping love for His church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Jesus Christ came to get His bride. And He paid a dowry with His blood. And His body being broken, offering a new covenant relationship, a divine union that can never be separated. That while He still stands, and He stands for eternity, no sin, no one can declare to us that we should depart. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the beauty of Your Gospel. We thank You for the beauty of a relationship that You have declared to Your church because You loved Your church so much that You said, I will die for my church, for my bride. And we look forward to one day entering into eternity at a supper, a marriage feast of the Lamb, when the bride of Christ is presented to Him holy and without blemish and spot because He has done a mighty work. And we will celebrate for eternity. Father, I pray for those here today. Those who are married, who are in discord, those who are married, who are struggling through whatever circumstances. Lord, I pray for family members who we know, Lord, that we can come alongside, that we can encourage. Father, I pray for the husbands to remember that Hosea went after his prostitute bride over and over again because he loved her, because Jesus asked him to. Lord, I pray that we would remind ourselves that we uphold in our marriage, a picture of a beautiful Savior who loves His people. I pray this in Jesus' name.